0: As a franchisor, just like we want to understand the why of our clients, it allows us to serve our clients better. If I know what your goal is, what your long term goals are, yep. then we can construct down to the micro level of the documents and the strategy and the planning, the legal structure around that because of your why. That's the first question I ask people. A franchisor should be doing that also. They should be talking to their franchisees, you know, after they sign and they're up and running, and every year, you should have your business team, your ops team. If you're a founder, it should be you up to the first, you know, dozen. What's your goal? And what are the obstacles that we can remove as a franchisor to enable you to get better? And then you're going to learn from the field and you're going to be more open-minded. And, you know, they're the best systems. They're the systems that I see really explode.
1: Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you Take action through franchise ownership, allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's a special episode because I've got a guest and longtime friend, Tom Spadia, on the show, live and in person in the studio. How there are you, go. Tom? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this was... Cool. Nice setup you got here. Yeah, worked out. We can do a podcast and get a day in the city. I love the, you know, it's
0: not the Dan driving down the road on LinkedIn with the, with the phone going, but... <laughs> I've graduated. Nice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> still do that too. Tom, Tom, and I go back to, all the way to 2000 for me, 2014. Your time in franchising has been since probably
0: a long time, right? When we still use the abacus. I um. So yeah, I've been in franchising for 20 years now. Actually, I started as a franchise consultant, broker, and business broker. That was uh, that was prior. That was my first entrance into that. I had my real. It was before I was a lawyer. So I actually um I sold franchises. Then I joined a brand as um I was with Rita's Italian Ice, Rita's Water. So they had just been acquired by private equity in two thousand five. And so they um they brought me on to sell franchises. I I, you know, moved up the ranks. I spent a couple of years there. I was the head of franchising, I was the head of real estate and development, and I went to law school at night. So I um I was selling franchises during the day, and I was going to law school at night when I was in my late 30s, and um, and it's great. So I, you know, I joined the IFA, I got my CFE, um, finished up law school, did a couple other sort of tours of duty in franchise sales with a couple other big brands, and then started the firm with my uh, my best friend from high school, Josh Liana, and Josh and I started. Um, well, I got out in 2010. He did 2011. We um, we started the firm. 2012, so 10 years ago, uh, no, 11 years ago. Now we're on our 11th year. In the beginning, mostly represented franchisees. We did lease review. Well, you know, we were startup business, so I we mostly did anybody who would write us a check and came in <laughs> the door is uh, is how it really started, and. um you know, with all my friends in franchising, with my franchise sales and development background, we helped, you know, people navigate the FDD, really get in. So, you know, our kind of base perspective is from what do franchise buyers look for? What are they thinking about as a first-time business owner? So setting up their entities, doing the FDD review, doing the lease. And over time, we started, you know, picking up franchisor clients. And now, actually last year, we've made a hundred percent pivot to just representing franchisors. Um in mostly the regulatory work you know, writing the FDDs, the state register, all the blocking and tackling boring stuff that you don't think about until there's a problem or you don't think about until you're thinking about a big exit, which is really kind of our mission is to help people towards that,
1: yeah, and it makes complete sense to me, and it's always stood out to me in all the years of knowing you that you have that background in franchise development um and that you can apply that to your to your legal side of your your business. um so you- you got into franchising, and I think it was just to get back in the story a little bit. It's yeah. exciting. Um, Rita's, right? Rita's. I was. I was
0: with Rita's. You know, I'm a Philly guy. I'm wearing my, my green in mourning morning of the uh, <laughs> Super Bowl loss yeah. here. And, yeah. um, and so it's a great brand. You know, Philly-based was around for 20 years. They got up to 300 units without ever using consultants, without ever advertising for franchises. Little sign in the window, franchises now. Takes 20 years to get to 300. Um, so yeah, so I joined them right after they had private equity had bought them and obviously put them on kind of a growth path.
1: Gotcha. And then and then law school and then and I went to law concurrent. So I went to law school at night. Yeah. So right. I
0: would you know those of you know Philly I would leave you know Ben Salem which is right north of the city and I'd you know get there at 5:30 in the morning six o'clock in the morning I'd leave at 5:30 to get the class at six o'clock class till ten and uh, you know God bless my wife my wife. Monica is the one who, who, her name should actually be on the diploma because that was a lot of patience that we went through. You know, Sunday night, you know, I had, at the time, my kids were four and one. So I'm saying, you know, good night to the kids Sunday night and, you know, I'll see you Friday. Yeah. So it was a long haul, but that was, it was tough for the first two years. Then you kind of could get into the schedule, but I loved it. I actually really, I'm kind of like a nerd at heart. I really enjoyed law school. I think as I did it late in life, I like to get into the details. I mean, it's fascinating from kind of a history buff. And so I, I kind of think about how, you know, at the end of the day, a, a, a huge part of our country, our whole economy, our whole political system, our business system, it really all revolves around, you know, the law.
1: Yeah, it's funny just on a sidebar because Coral and I have lived together now for almost two years and it was an adjustment because she had said, I I didn't really fully understand how obsessed with franchising you were (laughs) until we lived together and she sees me on a Saturday morning reading like, Literally reading like an FDD or like just watching on YouTube on the couch, like yeah, franchise you know, gr- nerds. Granted, we live, you know, someday I'll ha- we live in, in in a one bedroom in New York City, so maybe someday we'll get me a man cave where I can <laughs> do that. But <laughs> you, you were living and breathing franchising, selling franchises, and going to law school. Well, going to law school, but then becoming a franchise. Attorney. Look,
0: I I love franchising, right? I always say I go. I'm not super broad with a lot of my knowledge base, but I go real deep and it's real narrow, and I just. I love entrepreneurs, right? We're the founder's law firm. That's how I always like to say that. Like when people, uh, you know, we, 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 you know, the big private equity firms, the big public companies, and that's not who we represent and not nothing wrong with that. It's just a different mindset yeah. is where I feel I, you know, my grandfather started a small company after World War II. He had a seventh grade education. He was a Marine in World War II, got the GI Bill, couldn't really get a formal education, but he used that to get an engineering degree. He became a machinist, um, really was an engineer without a, without a title, or I mean, without a degree, but had all the classes. And so he started a machine shop and my dad joined that company. I did. So I'm really like a third generation entrepreneur. I grew up in a house talking about making payroll and getting through this and dealing with an employees and dealing with all of the stress that comes along with a small business. So, you know, yes, I understand the formality of it. Yes, I understand you know, how these, the the nerd part of me can get into these documents and get down to the crossing the T's and dotting the I's. But the part that I think is sort of in my DNA is why I bond with founders. I'm a founder. I founded my law firm. You know, we're pretty proud of the journey that we have um, and the success that we've had and the awards that we have had um, as a franchise law firm. So so I think I've really found, I finally, right, at 50 years old, I know what I want to do with my life. And, uh, and I have found, um, I've really found my niche and I love it. I love it. I get to deal with founders as you are and entrepreneurs
1: every day. Yeah. I've always appreciated your understanding of business because of running your own firm. And I think you were the, you were actually the person that first recommended to me to read the E-Myth years and years ago. And <laughs> I, I remember going home and reading it and saying, wow, a book changed my life. It is. Anyone who's watching this who has not read the
0: e-myth and is in small business, it is a must-read.
1: Must-read, for read sure.
0: At least twice. Um, and the basics of it, for those who, who will now be reading it soon, uh, is the key to scaling a business. And franchising is like the ultimate embodiment of that mindset. You know, how do you build a team? You know, I, I take it to heart even the way our structure and our firm, with our flat fees and our team approach, with client relations. You know, what are you doing— yeah. in your business that you can delegate and right. not just right. be the technician, not just be the person in there. Um, yeah, no, that's the key. So thank you for that. Very cool.
1: Well, yeah, it was, it was I think during the day, we, you told me about, it was at the Murphy Conference. So this isn't, you know, early, a while ago. Is that in Reno? in Reno we had that steak. I was about to tell you (laughs) because I was also not accustomed to these types of steak dinners yet. I was just out of like college, you know, I was used to eating pizza. So my first steak dinner, uh, business dinner was with you and I ordered the blue uh, steak and I liked it because I like rare, but I don't think I knew what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. That was very fun. We went bowling afterwards, I think. I I can't remember who else was at that dinner. It wasn't just you and I. There was other... I forget. Yeah. Not sure. It was a good steak dinner. So, all right. So, and I know from my experience, like when I was running my previous company, we would send a lot of candidates um, that were looking for a legal. uh, Of course, we send them to many different firms, you know, because it wasn't our place to decide for them. But we would send them to your firm at that time when you were working with franchisees, because I always found that you understood how to make things simple, how to make things simple for people to understand. So I know now you don't work with franchisees really at all or or, or sparingly. No, we don't because.
0: But we take that same philosophy, right? Yeah. So we, I look at franchising not as necessarily a game of one side against the other. I look at franchising yeah. as two parties coming together, you know, who both have a need from a business standpoint. Representing just franchisees, taking the e myth to heart, it's it's hard for us because the reality is, if you're a franchisee and you buy just a service business or a food franchise or a gym. You're going to use your attorney to, you know, do your entity, look at your franchise agreement, your lease, maybe some ancillary work. But the reality is if you're a micro entrepreneur, that's a franchisee and you're calling your lawyer every month, that's a problem. So the franchisor side of things, however, Mm -hmm. there's this ongoing flow. So we're able to become really subject matter experts in the part that for a lot of my competitors, I think they treat as low margin headache work you know, the FDD, the blocking and tackling. So we have, like, I think I've shared with you, like our tech stack that gives people a map and they know exactly where they're registered and they have access. You know, when we get an answer from New York, it pings the system and they see it, our attorneys see it, our paralegals see it. And so, you know, the way we bill with our flat fee, we've tried to simplify the process the same way we simplified the franchisee process. We've tried to do that for franchisors.
1: So let's get into this. A lot of our listeners are franchisors. They're looking at, maybe they already did their FDD. They're working, you know, something that you clarified with me before recording, the recording started was like, I I know for me, like I had said, hey, look, like there's, uh, you know, I'm almost done with my FDD and, you know, ongoing. And I think people may think of like, at least I have a habit of thinking, my attorney is my attorney for everything. And I'm realizing that, it's actually not the case. You should be delegating different areas to the you know, specialist in, in, in an area. Obviously my attorney is a franchise attorney, but you had sp- said that like, look for the ongoing work. So you think you- about it like doctors, right? So
0: you have your general practitioner. In fact, the reality is our system works best when people have, other subject matters. Even if you're a startup franchisor, you know, you have your corporate attorney. They know you. They've met you. They've talked to you. They understand your goals. Not that we won't also understand that, but you go to your doctor and you have an earache and you have a problem and that doctor is going to do kind of a rudimentary look on that. But if they can't quite get it or they're not then you go to the ear nose and throat guy and they have this giant machine that can go in and they have the they have the right tools for that specific issue that a general practitioner isn't going to have and that's what we are we are we're specialists i mean we're 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 we refine our offering as lawyers we were technically you know you're not specialists cuz we don't have the special training but you know we're basically very laser focused on we stay in our lane. So we have a number of clients, even larger clients, still mostly founder run, but larger clients that have general counsel and we're a force multiplier to their own lawyers. So that, you know, if you have a litigation specialist or a trademark specialist or a corporate lawyer, it's not efficient to spend five, six hundred bucks an hour, eight hundred bucks an hour, nine hundred bucks an hour. For them to be responding to a Minnesota comment letter, it's not efficient for them to be talking about a run-of-the-mill addendum for you just to get deals or to go through and to be talking about, you know, is this how the item 19 should be and crossing these? And the fact that we have, you know, 400 brands that we represent, go ahead.
1: No, it's it's interesting because I, I just think for my own personal, like I, I was just saying pre-recording at the time of this recording on Friday night, I finished the acquisition documents and signed, you know, uh, congrats moving forward, thank you with the with the founder of the business that we, we got involved with that um, we have an amazing relationship. And, but that deal took 120 days and the documents were very complex and there was a need for very specialized, uh, you know, uh, expertise. But when it comes to, filing and dealing like you said with the letter, that makes sense that you delegate that somewhere where that's that's what you do. That's where you have the technology. That's where you have the infrastructure and systems to do. No
0: one no brand can outrun us, even if they're with the biggest outsourced franchise sales group, we have taken brands from six or seven units to 200 units and they didn't outrun us because we have a team approach. So every client gets, you know, a franchise attorney, a paralegal, and a client relations person sort of modeled off of software. We come up with a flat fee that makes sense for what we're going to do. We recalibrate every six months because we track kind of what we did. And I think I was telling you before, we actually don't love raising prices. We would rather, if you're, Blowing it out of the water and you're doing four or five deals a month. We would rather teach someone on your team to do some of that. You know, maybe it's an administrator who has a great attention to detail. Hey, let we should do the first couple because they're going to take time, but we're not going to be able to respond in three hours like an internal person for a salesperson. And now this comes in my background of I've sold franchises. Time kills deals. So you have to be ready to run really fast, strike where the iron's hot. And I love that. I love setting those systems up.
1: I'm not sure I fully understand. So, this will be helpful because if yeah. there's. So, I've got three candidates in this hypothetical situation that are pretty close to wanting to move forward this month. They have comments on where are they going? So, all right. So, like, is the legal, con- their, their so attorney here, so, is coming to us with pull comments. Pull back, right?
0: FDD's done. We go to our states, state registrations. You and your franchise development people get this intra, you know, web, basically a private website that says where you can sell and where you can't. If you use our disclosure system, which you get as part of it, some people will use these other really great CRMs, the Frank connects to the world and the other good ones out there that, um, that's fine. They can, we'll load the FDD there. But if you use our system, you'll send out a map link, a map shows up to the candidate. They click on their state. It's green or red, right? Josh and I were at Fogo to Chow, and we were sitting there, you know, green and red. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, that's a great idea for state registration. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so <right. laughs> keep it simple, right? Keep it simple. That's what we try to do. Simplify. So they click. They get the FDD. They sign it through DocuSign. You're training the client to sign DocuSign. You're getting them through a process. They're getting used to it. If you have a problem with their technology or their access— it's a lot better to learn it on the receipt page than when it's like money's on the game. So they get the document. Now we go forward, discovery day, they're there. They're ready to go. Dan, I want to, okay, I want to do the deal. So we have another form through DocuSign or we'll come up with a form that we'll work together on the way you want to pass us the info. And part of that pass of the info is about the time that they'll say, hey, here are my comments. Now I will tell you, and those clients have, I have clients here who work with us and our team, If the candidate sends in 50 clients, you haven't trained that client on what franchising is. So we'll we will tell them if they send in 50 if the franchisee hires a non-franchise lawyer and they send in 50 and they send in 50 comments. Gotcha. We recalibrate and say, This is not the path you want to go down. You with their attorney, you communicate. With their attorney, you communicate. Well, we'll communicate to you, communicate to the attorney. Usually what I say is pick your best 20 that you want us to even look at. We're not trying to be mean here, but we're not going to torture because you don't understand France. Now, when you're an emerging brand, you get it, you have to move it, but you can't just give 50 comments away to everybody. And then we tell them, pick your best 20. And we're only going to probably legitimately talk about 10 of those.
1: Well, let's just touch on this for a moment because yeah. I want to make sure I, I really understand on a granular standpoint. One, I already had people say to me like, oh, damn, you know, When you start your franchise, are you going to give all kinds of things to give new people? And I said, no, we're not giving anything other than like, we're going to give them a great territory that's going to be available. And we're going to give them an opportunity to be a pioneer and communicate with us. And there's obviously the best franchise agreement you sign is the one that's available now because every year it gets a little bit more strict. It should because you're growing. But outside of that, no, we're not going to do a million things because it's not fair, even though you are the first to get in. I, I agree. So my question is, if I'm a franchisor and I'm working with you and my candidate brings 50 comments,
0: you your team communicates with their attorney? I'm going to, not first. We're going to coach you on that. Now, not every brand has Dan. Not every a- brand has been around. Most of our brands have never sold franchises before. They're new to the business. So we're going to coach them on, it shouldn't get to us actually.
1: The 50 it, comments shouldn't it, get to us. This is important too. Most of our listeners are, fr- are franchisees too, or can- gotcha. uh, potential franchisees. And what we're saying here is that franchise agreement is pretty standard. It has to be. If you're going to a franchisor and they're wheeling and dealing and striking things I would run away from that.
0: I would tell my
1: franchise, when we represent
0: franchisees, so yeah. speaking to the franchisees in the audience, I would tell a franchisee, first of all, you don't understand what you're getting into if you want 50 comments. You're not negotiating a lease. You're, yeah, you're, you're leasing a car. You're not buying a car. You can't paint it purple. You got to bring it back on time. Now you're going to be able to buy way more car or lease way more car than you could if you bought it. So think of that analogy. But there are restrictions and there are rules. And you're buying into a system. In fact, I would say a franchisor who entertains 50 comments, you should run away from that franchisor right. because you're investing in the brand. You're, it's you it's the franchisor and it's the brand. And I would tell, and I don't, and then I would say, cause I was pretty good as a franchisee lawyer. I got a lot more stuff than the people who asked for 50, because if you laser focus and you ask for seven or right. eight that really matter, that are really going to impact. And look, we've done, you know, I've seen these things all the way out through litigation, private equity, every fight. I mean, there was not a Thank goodness, at this point in my career, I've seen every angle of every one of these clauses negotiated, fought over. They care about it. Franchisers got to worry about the end game. How's that going to turn out in private equity at the end? They got to think about that. And you as a franchisee have to think, if if I'm not going to follow the system and I'm going to be pulling out the franchise agreement, then maybe this franchise isn't for me or maybe franchising is not for me.
1: That franchise agreement should get a file of cabot locked away Absolutely. and never thought about it again. But what what I think is, is outside even in the private equity console, com- component, it's more about like, like I'll give you an example. This is something I learned recently. I had said on a mastermind with franchisors that like my plan when I do agreements is to write them in a way that is favors me, but I'm always going to be very consistent, uh, very compassionate with what we can and what we will or won't do. Someone gave me a different opinion though. They said, well, Dan, how are you going to determine when you're being compassionate and when you're not? Are you going to, you don't want to be favoritism? And and their advice was to be consistent, right? To be consistent with I people. agree with that. You should be consistent. Now, of course, if someone has an, an outstanding circumstance, I think that as a leader, as a franchisor, requires compassion. And it- well,
0: you just hit the word that's really important. And for the franchisees to think about that, you're the leader of the brand. You know, you're the coach and they're the players. You're a benevolent dictator. And so you have to, it's a lot easier for a franchisee to leave the system. But it's really hard for you as a franchisee, right. I mean, as a franchisor, to get the franchisees out of the system. So they have to, right, empathy, sales, empathy, that, being a lawyer, being a dad, being a, you have to understand the other side of things. So the franchisees going into it should understand that well, there's some needs on the other side here because a healthy system builds their investment. A healthy system grows their investment. So, um, so you hit the nail on the head, and you should and you should talk about that to the franchisees, as franchisors and franchisees should understand that this is your leader, this is your coach. A strong leader is going to make a stronger system, and it's better for your investment. So, if the franchisor is so desperate to make a sale, then to the sell a franchise you should be like, that's a warning sign. That's a warning sign to me.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll move on to the next topic. But I just remember a time I had a candidate, work with a non-franchise attorney. They carved out at 50 comments. And then at the end, when it finally got to the territory, which I felt like could have been negotiated, the, the, the brand, the system was so worn out. They're like, no. And I feel like none of those comments really even ended up getting Agreed to. Like you said, they would have been better off leading with the territory. And then sometimes what happens is the franchisee has to make this like
0: Sophie's choice between listening to their lawyer, which you should, by the way, right? And I know this sounds as a lawyer, but you should listen to your lawyer for sure. And then they have to make this bad choice where sometimes what happens is they're like, all right, I'm just going to sign it as is fine. And so they get the worst of both worlds. They walk into this franchise completely paranoid that they've been ripped off because they're thinking, I want this franchise so bad. They're not going to negotiate. Right. I'm going in. But right. now they got this seed in their head that, oh, maybe there's a problem. And then if there's trouble, they're going to go back to, uh, oh, why did I do this? Why didn't I get the 50 comments? So it just, it just sets the wrong tone. Look, you're a new franchisor. You should be a little flexible. I mean, they're, they're taking a chance on you. They're coming in. There's some Marines. Sure. You said territory though. I will say that's the, um, not to segue it, but we were talking before about the biggest mistake emerging brands make, they give away too much territory.
1: Give away too much territory. Way yeah. too much territory. What I meant more so was about like the, you know, moving a you zip code or to. moving a, you know, because some specific market conditions that are understandable could probably be the place that there's the most room to negotiate.
0: Right. But it's, it's the other thing I like to tell them, and this is this might sound funny, um, but you're not selling to yourself as a franchisor because franchisees have a different goal and they have a different risk profile. You know, they want stability. They want a business that's going to provide for their family. Maybe they're going to cobble together a bunch of franchises and different systems and build some wealth that way. But they're not, franchisees aren't looking for, they shouldn't be. They're not looking for generational wealth. They're not looking for the huge hit. Look, 80, I don't know what it is, 80, 90% of franchisees, I think, are successful. And 20 to 30% of franchisors really get any kind of scale. So there's a different risk profile. So franchisors have to also understand that when they're crafting their documents, when they're thinking about negotiating, they can be a little tougher because as counter as intuitive as it sounds, most franchisors probably wouldn't sign a franchise agreement. And that's okay. That doesn't make them wrong. It just means they're they're playing different roles in this ecosystem. And look, we all play a role. I play a role. You play a role. It's a new franchisor. And so I think to understand your role, to understand kind of your why, what's the big game, and that's really always been our approach is, yeah. you know, what's the why? What, where are you going with this? Why are you doing
1: it? If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. One of the things that I had spoken about in my team was we wanted to be very clear with candidates about what our business was. Somewhere along the lines in franchising in the past, I want to say, four years, five years, I've watched it creep up. I've been very... Uh, attuned to all the information. And what I found was that all of a sudden there was this belief that a business had to be this multi, multi hundred thousand dollar a year profit. And, all of a sudden having a normal business that like, I don't know about you, but when I started my first business, I didn't make a lot of money. And then the next year we made a little bit more and the next year, a little bit more. And it was a grind. Now that wasn't a franchise, so it should have taken longer. It makes sense. There was, a, but it it did, the business I started did have an audience. So I did get into a, a business that was able to be easier to stand up. As I start my next business, I purposely went into what I'm doing because I have, I have uh, a certain amount of experience that I can stand it up easier and people can invest knowing I'm have a track record. But if you're a franchisee and you're starting a business, there's nothing wrong with starting a business and it being a little hard the first year and a little bit better the second, a little bit third. I just find people in this industry lately have started to come up with these ideas that the first year, you know, you're not going to work. You're going to start the business. It's going to be semi absentee. Uh, it's going to cash flow this amount. I
0: I I know this might sound super unpopular, may even irritate a couple of my clients, but I think that this industry has tried to 100% in agreement. Lean on that. It's semi-absentee. It's so easy. I, I don't believe it. And here's why I don't believe it. You wouldn't franchise. Franchisors are looking for two things. They're obviously looking for capital, but they're more looking for human capital. They're looking right. for the franchisee right. to be that local expert to drive the brand. And so- Yeah, there are some businesses, you know, if you want an absentee business, buy an apartment building, buy a mutual fund, you know, that's an absentee business, but a franchise is you have to get in there and be the boots on the ground. Otherwise, ask yourself, if this is a franchisee, why does the franchisor need you? They can go, they can have a lot less grief. They're not dealing with guys like me. They can go (laughs) raise money and not have to be, you know, trying to herd cats. I mean, imagine. A hundred hard-headed people trying to get them all pointed in the right direction. That's a hard job. It's hard to be a franchisor.
1: I look at it like um, we, we we coined a new term in in uh, at, at franchise playbook for our brand, which is uh, uh, owner not operated. Owner owner not operated. Something like that. We're still working on it. But like my idea of I don't even like to use the word semi absentee anymore. Right. Owner not operated means you own the business. You're not going to operate. What I get tell this is what I I'm planning to say when I have an FDD to candidates is look, I can, pro- not promise, but pretty much guarantee, if you say you never want to go in the house, you never want to ride in the truck, you never want to- e Go yes. back to
0: that. If go you don't back- want to be the I- technician- I- So I, 100%, but you got to lead the business. Right. You got to be on top of it. You have to know your numbers. You have to be the one who is- Thinking about this business. So
1: if you ask me what like my definition, listen, if you're talking about you want to go to a B&I event then go meet with the property manager then go drop off cookies at your other property manager, go meet with your guy for lunch on your team, go and then, you know, sell and do a little bit of management, then go next morning, look at QuickBooks and look in the bank account or look at the marketing. That's semi absentee to me.
0: But they're the best franchisees. Because they're business people, and I think that's something that um, a lot of emerging brands struggle with, right? Because they've gone through this E myth path where they were the best technicians. You know, a teacher should not buy an education franchise. A nurse should not buy a home healthcare franchise. Right? You have you gotta you have to think about it objectively and get get a team to go in there and execute on the business. But that's. You know that's not semi absentee. That's that's work. That's real work. That's the hard work that but, but, is hard to do to go to the BNI events.
1: Yeah, let, let's clarify. Absentee means you're absent from. You're somewhat semi absent from right. the day to day of the business. I'll give you an example. My business right now. in a grandwoman of many franchises. We got a lot of stuff going on right now. I could sit in this studio for hours, and I my team knows that I'm absentee, but I'm doing something to grow our business. <laughs> Well, that would be my definition. So I would, um, I don't know. I, I think you're,
0: I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's what people mean in the industry. I think what people mean in the industry is you can have a completely separate job and you never have to show up.
1: That's what I'm saying. It's, it's that's, wrong.
0: That's wrong. And I agree with you. There's Look, some businesses. I mean, I guess I'm an absentee business owner. I'm sitting here chatting with you and I'm about to go to, you know, IFA. and You're so,
1: semi-absentee. Right. Because you're doing something to grow the business. If well, you were right, right now on a beach every day for a month, not doing anything, it's that coming, would be- coming, Dan. It's
0: coming. It's coming. Sem- I need more clients and then we get there.
1: That would be absentee. <laughs> that would be- at, right?
0: Correct. And that, and right. So this is like- you know, go back to another book, right? Which I which I made my kids both read before I paid for their colleges. You know, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yep. Goldy but goody, foundational book. Another book everybody should absolutely read. You know, quadrant two. You're doing things that aren't urgent, but they're really important. Going to a BNI meeting, that's not urgent. It's easy to blow off. If you're in the restoration business and a customer's upset, That's urgent and important. You got to deal with that right now. And if a business owner is sitting in quadrant one and they're only dealing with urgent and important stuff, they're never going to grow that business. And so another thing that I think franchisors need to do, and this is why we have like, you know, back to our structure of having client relations, go back to the why. Are you coaching your franchisees properly? Not not which side do you put the ketchup and how many pickles do you put on the burger? That's not the coaching. That's compliance. That's brand standards. That's something the manager should be doing. That's execution. That's fine. I mean, coaching. I mean, thinking about your franchisees as humans, as entrepreneurs, are they achieving their goal? Are you sitting down with them every year saying, you know, where do you need to be in revenue? Where do you need to be in profit? Why? What's their why? Is it, you know, are we going for college in a couple of years with your kids? Is it, are you not taking enough vacation time? Because some of them buy a franchise. Because they're burned out in the corporate world and they only want to work 25 hours a week because maybe, I don't know, they're going out for the Olympics. And that's okay too. As a franchisor, just like we want to understand the why of our clients, it allows us to serve our clients better. If I know what your goal is, what your long-term goals are, then we can construct down to the micro level of the documents and the strategy and the planning, the legal structure around that because of your why. That's the first question I ask people. I asked you that, you know, earlier. That's the first question I asked. Well, a franchisor should be doing that also. They should be talking to their franchisees, you know, after they sign and they're up and running. And every year, you should have your your business team, your ops team. If you're a founder, it should be you up the first, you know, dozen. Yeah. What What's your goal, and what are the obstacles? That we can remove as a franchisor to enable you to get better, and then you're going to learn from the field, and you're going to be more open minded. And you know, they're the best systems. They're the systems that I see really explode.
1: Makes complete sense. I mean, to the last thing on this, this absent like. If you said to me, Dan, I want to own this business. I'm going to get, I have a GM that's going to be, you know, on the agreement I'm gonna put a little cash in. Even if it's five grand, if they don't have a lot of money, they put five grand, something that's going to hurt that if they leave and they're on the agreement, I'm going to keep my job. And every morning I'm going to do this. And every afternoon I'm going to do this. And my GM's going to do that. And that's one thing. But to tell me you're going to just like run the business while you keep a job that has no GM, that's not, no skin in the game. I don't know. I don't know. And again, now, there's not everyone. Can sell just-
0: more franchises that way because um, it's easier for people not to take the full leap and to put a toe in the water. So it's okay for a franchisor to do that, but they have to not kid themselves. They're taking a bigger risk. If they have someone as as maybe sharp-elbowed and mean as it sounds, if you have someone who took an SBA loan and they quit their job or they got laid off and this is their business and they have an SBA loan that their house is at risk. You know, that's a motivating factor. Not that you want to get down to that, but now you have someone whose whole life, they have to be successful.
1: And, you know, that's, that's what originally drove well, from. That's what I, I believe happened, especially in the past few years about this topic. Cause I think it's a real thing Because what you just said. is so true. COVID hits, right? Employers send their people home. They're in panic. They're at war. I remember I was at war just like you were. I was just, keeping the lights on, right? But people are at home. I can't even think about if they're being productive or not other than they're doing the bare minimum. I'm in an array, disarray, right? Then I get a PPP loan. PPP loan is, is provided to me to keep my team afloat. Now, granted, it's a good amount of money. It's covering the payroll. The stipulation is that I don't let them go, right? Which I don't want to, but of course, I also know that if I let them go, I would lose the forgiveness of the loan. And I'm saying me, like a lot of businesses. Yeah. So I don't let anyone go. A I, I, person over there, I know this is kind of not really doing anything, but like it is what it is. I can't let them go because of the PPP money. You get out of COVID, you start, to, you start to rebuild. Now my business is stronger because I've learned a lot through it and I'm starting to get more efficient. I'm learning more and more areas that I can improve. But here's the thing. During COVID, the guy that was sitting on the payroll that's not getting let go says, "Wow, I'm at home and I got plenty of time. I can run a business." And then franchise development person's like, "Yeah, run this thing. Send me. I keep your job." I'm going to tell you something right now. Do you really think like if I found out right now, my the team, the people that I pay a salary to, they could do something whatever they want later. It's, it's fine. Like, but there was no communication. Oh well, yeah. During the day, I, I actually run another business. I I paid a life, my life savings into it, and I'm doing this other business. When COVID starts to come back, the employers start to say, "Come back to work." Well, no, I can't because that's they, have that, they have that business.
0: Well, hopefully the business is producing enough for them to, that they don't have to come back to work. But I agree. Well, right, but I now mean, I,
1: that COVID shell is gone, I don't think it's so easy to take a business and have a job at the same time. I just look, think it's very hard.
0: I agree. I, I think running a business is really hard. And so I agree. It's harder. So I, look, our attitude always is, we're, our job is to point out risks, point out pitfalls. So, I would say to that, it's not that it's wrong or right, but it's wrong to not understand it's different. It's wrong to not understand that there's unique risk. It's just like selling a lot of franchises, I got right? You. So, you're totally right. Yeah. Neither are wrong or right. It's just you have, as a franchisor, if you're going to do that, well, then you have to recognize that you are giving up something. You're giving up that day-to-day control. You're giving up the engagement, the 100% engagement of the franchisee. You know, you're you're the franchisee's side hustle as opposed to the franchisee's bread and butter. And so you just have to recognize that and build your training programs around that, build your team around that. So there's a lot of companies that are able to do that, but they can't lie about it. And yeah, I mean, that's, Look, franchise development is a sweet spot. That's my personal opinion, right? I guess this would be my non-legal opinion of being in this business for a couple of decades, which eh, that's hard to say out loud, um, <laughs> is if you don't sell enough franchises, you're dead. Obviously, right? The wheels come off. You don't have anything. People look at you funny. Well, it's not doing it. You're not, You something's wrong. But the corollary to that is if you sell too fast, if you award too many franchises, right? Difference between selling and awarding, and you start to skyrocket, you have to be ahead of the support. So I think they're the, they're the two biggest failure points that we see. Obviously, stillborn, they never get started, happens a lot. They just didn't like franchising, and that's fine. Yeah. And you know what? If you're a franchisor and you sold one or two units and you got up and running and you hate franchising, don't stress out because your business is better. You did an operations manual. You took a 360 look at your business. You thought about your business differently. And if you just don't like being a franchisor, that's all right. But the the caution is, if all of a sudden you're the next hot thing and you start doing a lot of deals, that can ruin a company
1: just as fast as zero deals. And it's a way more violent end. It's funny. Well, first of all, just to clarify, because I've... Friends that own franchisors that do have people that buy the business that that keep their job. I think just for clarity, I don't want those people in my system. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Right. I just don't want... I, I believe there's something and that, that, that's the whole point of, as we launch our brand about the core values, about the grid and like what we're looking for and where we're not going to accept a lot of people. And that's okay. We're not for everyone. There's plenty of businesses that are. And I think you made a great point about it's a decision of risk. Right. Um. But you're saying, what you're saying is spot on too. I, I joke around. I say, we're either going to sell, like a lot of people are going to come to us or we're going to go slow. And it's one or the other, both have cliffs. It's like you're on a road that and has- a are, absolutely. Well, that would make like a great cartoon, right? About the cliffs on the side. Yeah. You got
0: to hit that sweet spot of development where you have enough development that you can learn and you can get things going, but you got to, and if you're, if you're starting to heat up, say no. You have to say no to franchisees, right? Or we were talking before, territory is one of my like, I would make a good article for our, our roundup. I, you know, what are the top five things that franchise, I can only think of two now, that early stage franchisors mess up. One is give away too much territory because your inventory is something that private equity cares a lot about at the end. You're not thinking about that now, but you should be. So that's a deep think. The second one is not saying no because you want to, not saying no because You want to do the deal. And boy, I'll tell you, you know, flip it around. You got to think of yourself as a recruiter, not a salesperson. Would you write that person a $40,000 check to wear your team colors? Are they that talented? Are they that dialed in? And do you think they're going to be that exceptional? That's how you got to treat your first five people. I know the economics don't work. A lot of people got to get paid with that franchise fee. But think about it like that. Flip it around in your head because otherwise you'll regret it. Trust me. If they're a bad franchisee, you would pay $40,000 to get rid of them in a heartbeat because it's just, those first five are the foundation of everything.
1: Someone once said to me, if they're a pain to work with before they sign and they give you a $50,000 check, they will be way more of a pain once they did. Correct. And so those red flags, mutually, or too, if you're on the the franchisee side or candidate side, the red flags are going to come out in, in, in the final hours, I think the, the red flags come out in the, in, yeah. in like the last, like when you, things start to get real.
0: Yeah. You should be thinking of that. And look, don't just don't lie to yourself. Like if you need to make payroll and you got to do the deal, just recognize you got to go, you know, clean up an aisle six at some point. So I get it. And I've counseled that. And I understand that I'm, you know, I can't just sit in the ivory tower here in our fancy studio and say, don't do this. Don't yeah. do this. That's why I love entrepreneurs. That's why I love founders. Cause when the chips are down, you just got to make decisions. You got to be a little bit fearless and you got to yeah. just go for it. And, you know, people who haven't lived that, who haven't made payroll, who haven't really struggled with their blood, sweat and tears, they don't really necessarily understand that. And that's what we love to do is say, here are the boundaries, fine. If you make a risk, just like the semi-absentee, fine. If that's a risk you want to take, just don't, don't you know, BS yourself, know that you're taking a risk and you're going to car. and we're going to have to deal with this later as opposed to putting your head in the sand. And, um, you know, you got to grow or or you're not going to make it.
1: Yeah. Well, got to give a shout out to this, the
0: SL Roundup here. You like that. Pretty so cool. That is our quarterly sort of uh, newsletter of things. So we do, you know, part of our flat fee structure with our franchise is we do a ton of education, right? Yeah. We put out, I do a lot of webinars and a lot of them are internal. We've started posting them. We write a lot of articles, you know, the main article, this one, go big or go home. I think a lot of, Franchisors early stage, that'll be number three now. They don't tell their franchisees to spend enough money in grand opening advertising. They're going and they're borrowing, make it 10 grand. You know, oh, I only spent two. Make it 10. They need a strong opening. They're buying stability. They're willing to do that. So those articles that we have sort of scattered in a lot of the things, we just rounded them up and we put them into this newsletter and we print it up because we think it looks really cool.
1: That's a great point. If you're a franchisee or someone looking to buy a franchise, you'll see more and more franchisors put like bundles of advertising into the item seven. Yeah, item seven requiring you to invest into the marketing. And that's because what happens is, and I'll just share. You, you buy a business. Every Literally every every candidate has the same four questions. How much money can I make? How am I going to get customers? How am I getting employees? How is this business going to stand up in my market? That's the core. Then there's fear and there's leadership team and answer stuff, but it's so those four. And then when people buy a business, I don't care what business it is. Every first-time business owner has the same challenges. And one of them is, well, I don't want to spend money on advertising. I don't want to... I'm going to go... Figure, I'm going to figure out how to do, this was funny, Tom, when I did lead gen, my last company, every single, like 99.999% of consultants would sign up, they'd come to career transition leads, they'd say, I'm going to do these leads, and then I'm going to go, I'm going to figure out how to do lead gen for myself, better than you guys can, right? right. And I would joke around and say, I wish you the best. Please call me if you do. I'd love to work with you on that. But I just want to point out there's an entire industry dedicated to this, right? There's me and my team working countless hours to figure this out. It took us years to figure it out. And if you feel like you can do that on your own because with no background in it, then let me know because I want to work for you and I'll leave career transition. And like the point I'm making is that it's a natural indication when you buy a business for some reason, you want to try to get leads your own way. Correct. And so franchisors has to realize that they have to help stop that, not stop that from happening, but help people
0: and succeed. And they have to coach them. They have to coach them from the outset in the sales process that this is what's expected. And they're going to borrow that money. If someone's not buying the franchise because it's hundred and. Fifty-five thousand in item seven at the top end instead of one hundred and forty-seven thousand, then you have the wrong candidate. Right. So I don't buy that. It's an old school mindset. Keep the numbers down. Know who's going to buy this. No way. Go big or go home. Put the money in there, and if that scares away the people that are unwilling to spend, because you are going to be judged as a franchisor on how fast you ramp up. You need to think about that. You need to plan about that. You need to whiteboard that. You need the SWOT analysis that. How fast can you get your franchisees up to break even? That is something that is critical because that's what they're buying. Forget about what you did as a franchisor that you're describing a franchisor in that explanation. Oh well, just because that's their mindset, how they want to do everything themselves DIY. Trust me, we have a lot. And if there's any franchisor that also wrote their own FDD or didn't use a lawyer, we don't judge. We're in no judgment zone. You come, we'll fix it because that's. We see it all the time. They're just like, eh, I'll write it myself. It's a template,
1: isn't it? Yeah. I but mean, for, cl- for clarity, like, it's, it's interesting. because like As I got into the franchise or side of the business, people say like, you know what you're getting into. And I, and I would say like, look, it's not the same thing, but my experience was people would pay money to join to be a broker consultant. And I agree. I loved, I loved that business they would join and then they would come to purchase leads. And then I ended up really being a big part of their ongoing support, right? Right. Because who who are you spending money with? You're you're buying a franchise consultant that buys leads. They're buying them for me at a good amount of money per month of money spent. So I was supporting them because I knew that if, hey, look, if you don't succeed, I don't succeed. You're not going to want to continue to purchase these leads. And so I've already kind of been in the shoes of a franchisor because not to the same degree, it wasn't a $150,000 investment. Let me ask you a question
0: you saw a lot of people going through in your past life as new consultants. Were the ones who spent a lot of money on leads more successful than the ones who tried to do it themselves?
1: One thousand <laughs> percent. And I, I used to tell people, I know you might think I'm saying this to you to sell you leads. Correct. I don't, I'm not there anymore. And I'm telling anyone that's listening, if they're a consultant, 100%. and you're with, let's say you're with IFPG, buy the leads, the CTL Correct. leads.
0: That's how you succeed. Spend money. You should have a percentage of your revenue and a percent upfront every year that you spend money on. I'm doing it. You're doing it. I'm printing this stuff out. You have to get the word out, especially in this world of like, you know, this is the podcast that of course, will have thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners, but there's tons of of stuff out there. There's just so much you know, you got to get the signal from the noise. Actually how do you actually do have a good amount of listeners. I know. You spend money. Yeah. But I'm saying, yeah. but there's so much content. There's Spending so money. much content. Yeah. There's so much. This costs you money. This, this costs me free. money. Exactly. So, but you're, you're practicing what you preach. So you just have to, it's harder than ever because there's so much content. There's so much things that you have to, you have to double down on your marketing efforts, whether you're a franchisee, a franchisor, yeah. a franchise attorney, a consultant, anybody
1: in just small business. Spend money, we're off the topic for of legal, but just to, it goes to show like if you know you really know franchising, not just legal, but like you know, to answer just a follow up to your question, yes, the consultants that spent money on leads, but then also called right away. so with in the other scenario with the franchisee, if they're buying, let's say, a home like let's say you buy the business I'm going to have, and let's say you buy a home services business, um they have to like let's say they handle lead generation for you well then, either you have to be calling the leads right away or they have to handle that. I think a lot of, at least in home services, that's like almost become the norm, right? To handle the inbound leads through a call center. Yeah. Depending on their scale, some
0: of the newer franchisors, it gets harder to yeah. kick off with that. Um, but you're right. I mean, speed to calling people back. I mean, it's, you know, time kills deals. Same thing with leads. Um, the world has gotten noisier and faster. Yeah, And so you just have to it's harder. It's harder now to be successful than what I got in this business. I think yeah. that franchising, we could do a whole show on that, the professionalization of this. It's harder to be a franchisor. You got to have your A game. You know, people just aren't going to put up with, you know, know—non-compliance. That's why we've, There was not a franchise law firm like us that we've just narrowed down to that compliance piece because it's just inexcusable. You can't paint outside the lines anymore. All this stuff is exposed. We live in a world where these things stick with you forever. So you just, you need to button yourself up. You need to be professional. You need to show yourself professional, whether you're a franchisee, a franchiseur, you know, or or a supplier.
1: If someone's listening to the show, Tom, what's the best way to get in touch with you? You know,
0: probably go to our website. Um, you know, I don't know if you're going to flash it. This is it like right down here, there? Or, um, you know, send me an email. You're getting I'm high tech. I'm on, now. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I I post a fair amount of all this stuff on LinkedIn. But, you know, spadealaw.com, S-P-A-D-E-A-L-A-W.com. We have tons of resources. Go there, read stuff, see our videos. You know, ha- we 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 believe in education first. And we also like- I'm willing to have a conversation with someone. If you're happy with your lawyer, we can do the little piece of that and that, but also, you know, we can be your backup quarterback. If at some point they're that, you know, we're we're no, no problem being the understudy. We'll sit there. I'm very patient. <laughs> I'm going to be doing this for 20 years and we have a team behind me that will keep it going. So I'd love to talk to people. I love talking to founders. So give me a call.
1: Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.